And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It is Wednesday, December 20th, the 2023 finale of Rates and Barrels. On this episode, we've got a bunch of loose ends to tie up before the New Year's. You know what? People know this by now if they listen to the show. I like to clean everything out and start fresh every single year, right? Inbox zero. People know that about me. Cleanse. The cleanse, the purge. It has to happen before the end of the year. So all of the little bits of information we've had kind of rolling over on the rundown for the last couple of weeks. <laughs> it's all just mushed together to make one show to just cap it all off so we can all say, hey, 2023 was great. And now we're moving on to 2024. <laughs> uh, but it is the time of year where you drop your best pitches of the year. So best pitches of 2023 up on the athletic, the good, the sweepy and the nasty. And I'm not kidding. I spent about 10 minutes of show prep time watching the Bobby Miller four-seamer, uh, and then a few more minutes watching the Jordan Hicks uh, two-seamer that was oh, just man. ridiculous. He basically turns Luis Arias into a top at the plate <laughs> in that clip that you chose for the piece. Yeah, it ended up being kind of subjective because um, I wanted to use Stuff Plus, but I didn't want it to be super theoretical, so I also got up the run value list. And when you have those two lists up, they don't they don't poured up exactly correctly all the time so you end up making choices i could have uh 100 uh maybe should have put kevin gossman's splitter on there or kodai singa's a ghost fork one thing that was interesting was that i also thought i could put shohei otani's splitter on uh, and i did put maeda uh joan duran's and felix bautista's splitters on there so i don't think that like i didn't put great splitters on i just think that somehow there's like you know, six elite splitters. It's funny because there's not a lot of splitters. Mm. Uh, the ones that are thrown are really good. And I think the way to square this with Nick Pollock's hatred of splitters <laughs> is that um, not many people can command their splitter. And so if you can command your splitter, if you can land the splitter in the zone, it's likely to be elite. And it's like some combination of command and stuff. Um, and so... You know, I, I like do I think Felix Bautista's splitter is better than Kevin Gossman's splitter. I, I mean, it's like 92 and has like similar action. You know what I mean? It's like it's super nasty. It's not saying that I don't like Kevin. It's the whole like I like apples and why do you hate oranges? You know, exchange like if I could put them all on there, I would. Uh, could I have put Gossman over Maeda? Sure. But Maeda throws his splitter like like more than a third of the time and he throws like 89 miles an hour and he still gets whiffs on the splitters. Whereas Gossman's splitter is also partially good because of his fastball. I think this is all kind of interesting though, because it fits into a 
bunch of different things on the rundown. So I'm going to shuffle things <laughs> up. People don't know I'm shuffling things up. But I think we should talk about the Tigers for a minute. A lot of injury updates to get to. Casey Mize enters 2024 with a clean bill of health. And I wanted to talk about Mize right now because Casey Mize, coming out of Auburn when he was 1-1 in his draft class, had an excellent splitter. And for reasons I have not seen, <laughs> that's not a pitch that he's throwing frequently in the big leagues. And it's kind of strange. And perhaps there is a health-related issue that has limited the use of that pitch. I don't think that's the case, but I'm grasping at straws because when you have something that's that good and you stop using it and then your K rate lags the way Casey Mize's K rate has lagged to this point in his big league career, it leaves us all wondering what's really in the box now that he's healthy again. Like what can we say is his true talent baseline right now and what kind of level could we possibly project him to if everything starts to fall back into place now that he's healthy again yeah i mean by stuff plus the splitter has been one of his best pitches and you know what's like kind of ironic about a guy that came out of college with great velo and um you know has at times uh averaged 96 plus on the fastball um, is that Mize's secondaries are good. You know, they're better than his fastballs. And so what I think that the actual lesson here with Casey Mize is that no matter how hard you throw, shape matters. And when you look at his four seam, it has below average ride, but it doesn't supplement that with tail. So now you're looking at that Bobby Miller thing and you love it. And why do you love it? It's because it has ride and tail. And Casey Mize's four seam has neither. And then you look at his sinker and you're like, well, you know, the sinker is okay, but A, sinkers allow more contact. And B, it's kind of, you know, close to average on the sinker too. It's not a Stroman-esque sinker where he's got you know, four or five inches um, more, you know, more drop than the average sinker. It's it's just kind of a sinker. And so that's why when you look at, at Stuff Plus, you see uh, a high watermark of 94, 95 for his fastballs. And that's almost all due to the velo. Um, and so shape always matters. That's something to learn uh, for Paul Skeen's enthusiasts, I think. Um, he has the velo. Yeah, he's got more buffer because he throws harder. It's true. It's true. And Shohei Otani does not have plus-plus movement on his fastballs, and he has plus velo. So there, there's a lot of room to succeed on velo. Um, but Casey Mize at 96, uh, the shape mattered even more. And um, so what I'm learning, what I want to hear from him coming out of surgery is... As much about health as did you work on the fastballs? Are you featuring a different fastball? Are you going more to a sinker-based approach? What's the deal? Uh, what What's the deal with the fastballs? What's the velo, you know, is going to matter too? Because if the shape hasn't changed and he comes back at 94, 95, I don't think I'm in. You go back to 2020, there was a cutter in there for a little while. Like through that almost 20% of the time, uh, results it, it weren't bad. I think it... 
it's one of those pitches that it's like, well, if the other fastballs aren't good, maybe going back to a cutter is something that Myers can try just to shake things up. If you don't get the velo up to the number you want, at least you get some different movement on that pitch, and, and that could change up the profile. But uh, this Tigers rotation, Maeda is also in it, so I'm glad, uh, glad you brought him up as far as the splitter and what he's been able to do. It's a group of mostly discounted pitchers. The real exception, of course, is Tarek Skubal. Tarek Skubal is the only expensive Tigers pitcher. Oh, but... And, it, and like the projections on him are, are nutty, nutty. <laughs> yeah, they uh, they really are. His ADP in December is inside the top, nearly inside the top 50 overall. 53.8 is actually where he is right now. So he's going in the first four rounds of a 15-team draft. For some folks, that's an SP1. For others, it's an early SP2. Kind of depends on how you're building out the rotation. We love the park. I think in Scooble's case, I've always liked the skills. We've seen just gaudy strikeout numbers coming through the minor leagues. That was part of the appeal all along. Seems to be finally healthy. I don't know if I want to be in at that price. Like That is just a really steep price for a guy that hasn't been able to do it over a full big league season yet. Yeah, and... You know, uh, I've got some uh, early health grades. Uh, I'm, I'm starting my pitching ranks, and I got health grades from uh, Jeff Zimmerman again. And how much of a health grade can you give somebody coming off surgery? Uh, he's got a D in in, uh, in Jeff Zimmerman's grades, and um, so I don't. I know that his projections make him like the fourth best pitcher by by steamer or fifth or something but uh with the d health projection i'm gonna treat him a little bit more like a glass now okay i think that's fair i was i was thinking freddie peralta um not uh, yeah you know similar just in terms of full seasons peralta of innings have been C, there. yeah uh has a less of a projection by steamer um but a c and then i'm also trying to uh fold in the um the ppera the 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 uh stuff plus base projections um which for scooble have him with a 364 era so they're not as excited um as the steamer projections but that's a pretty good number so i mean you have to remember like league average is 4-3 so scooble is still going to be in my top 20 i just can't imagine is he is he in your top 10 I can't. I don't. I don't think I can put him in my top ten. Fringy for me for top ten. I, it's it's weird. He falls into the category of a player I like that someone else in the room or multiple someone else's in the room probably like a little more than I do. Yeah. And that just means yeah. I miss out, right? It, if we're in an open player situation where you can bid on whoever you want an auction, okay, then dollars for dollars, I, I might end up with Scooble. That's possible. But I think in a snake situation. I'm less likely to have him on my roster. I think the Glasnow comparison is interesting, too, because we talked about some of the, the Glasnow workload concerns. And if you go further back and look at the seasons that he split between AAA and the big leagues a little bit earlier in his career, you see more robust workloads. With Scooble, I don't think you quite find that when you go digging back through the old workloads, right? So you have that concern as well. Even if you go back to, to his college days, this wasn't a guy that was logging triple digit innings during his college season. So the the injury risk is elevated. That D grade seems warranted, even though he's a really exciting pitcher. 149 is the high watermark. Uh, and he crossed 100 twice otherwise. 
2019, he had 122. 2022, he had 117. Yeah. So I'm, uh, I'm very tolerant of pitching injury risk, but that's just a little bit too much for me, I think, based on where he's going right now. Now, this is a, a Tigers rotation that's added both Maeda and Jack Flaherty this offseason. Maeda is the second most expensive Tigers pitcher, but he's going closer to pick 250. Given the park, given the floor of the skills that we have from Maeda, injury risk there, of course, but in the 200 range, I'm not really worried as much about 150 innings as a possible ceiling for someone. What's your expectation for Maeda making the move to Comerica? I think it'd be about league average. Um, I'm tempted uh, to to pick him up in a place where I don't have to start him every time. Uh, there's some nice parks that he's going to. I'd love to start him in Cleveland. I'd love to start him in uh, Detroit. I'd love to start him in Kansas City. Um, would I love to start him in the cell? Against that team, especially early in the season, I have no problem with that. I mean, it's yeah, it's that team in particular, not the park, just not the park. Yeah. How about in Minnesota? Uh, I don't know. In 15s, definitely. In 12s, you know, I'm looking at the alternatives. Yeah. The uh, the PPERA projection is 4.25 uh, against the league average of 4.3. So he's better than league average. Uh, definitely draftable, definitely holdable. I'm just not sure I'm going to start him every time. And we've got... Uh, a steamer projection of 409 ERA, and we've got uh, basically the last two years somewhere around a 44 ERA. So it's definitely the strikeouts are, are still going to be there, I think, because he's got a wide arsenal. He's got that splitter. He's got just enough velocity on the fastball to to continue it. Uh, but sometime uh, over the course of the next two or three years, he might dip below 90 with the fastball. Um, and I could see a season where he has like a one, six homers per nine or one, eight, you know, and it just becomes kind of more untenable, uh, just in terms of ERA and home runs and the strikeouts aren't as valuable anymore. Yeah. I think given the park, I wouldn't be surprised if he cranked out a second best home run rate of his career, at least second best since 2016. Because mm-hmm. that 2018 season with the Dodgers looks like an outlier. That was the only season he's been in the big leagues and had a home run rate under one per nine. His rookie season, air quotes, rookie season back in 2016 was very similar, 1.02. If he were to get back in Every that range, year, that's he's huge. had a bit of a home run problem. Yeah, being in Dodger Stadium and, and Target Field. So a slight improvement there seems likely. A significant improvement is possible if he gets lucky and benefits from the park factors. I think he's fine where he's going. He's not a must-have. Risk, there's risk in that fastball velo, though, at that age, I feel like. Yeah, he's he's fine in this range. but And, you're, and you've got 21 starts in two straight years. So, you know, it's not like um, he's going to be healthy necessarily all year either. Well, I think it's really interesting that the Tigers are kind of going this route similar to what the Giants have done in recent years. Of course, you know, Scott Harris calling the shots in that front office comes from the Giants and it's just stacking a lot of arms in there that you you know you're not going to have all of these guys healthy at any moment in time. But if you just have five of them healthy all the time, then you've got a formidable rotation. You've got enough to sort of get you through and, and stay competitive. I think if, if Scoobal stays healthy all season, that's huge. And if Reese Olsen stays healthy, that's pretty big too. I mean, I think he was pretty impressive for someone that wasn't necessarily a highly regarded prospect. He wasn't 
wasn't a complete pop-up guy either. I think what we saw from him in the minors in 2022 was really impressive. The strikeout rate really jumped off the page, struck out 33% of the batters he faced, but he more than held his own as a rookie last year, right? Just about a strikeout per inning, kept the walks in check. That was the concern with some of the numbers we saw in the upper levels of the minors. Occasionally, that walk rate would jump up a bit for Reese Olsen. He's going a little later than Maeda, and I think you're getting a similar floor, but you're getting a lot more ceiling. I think the only question comes down to if everybody is healthy at the beginning of the season or more than five of these guys are healthy at the beginning of the season, who gets pushed out? Who ends up either in a bullpen role or who potentially ends up going back to AAA just to wait for their opportunity to contribute in the rotation? Yeah. I mean, I have some love for Gibson Long, too. Um, and there's eight starting pitchers. <laughs> like, and and you want to buy into that park for sure. So, uh, you know, I, I don't like Jack Flaherty as a pitcher. I, <laughs> um, I just, the, the fastballs have just the weirdest shape. And, uh, you know, I, I mentioned before that he could be a candidate for a sweeper. And at times he's thrown, his, uh, uh, you know, a slider with 10, 12 inches of sweep. Um, but I just coming from his, where he's come and, you know, having the discussions he's had with, um, with reporters about like velo and, and, and shape of pitches and stuff. Like, I just don't know how receptive he'd be to be like, Hey, uh, we think you're, you'd be a great candidate for a sweeper. He'd be like, you know, F that nonsense or like sweeper, you know, I have a slider, you know? Um, and, uh, I, I don't know, maybe more, maybe after the struggles he's had, he's, he's more receptive now, uh, to, to these things. Um, but the sweeper has been around for a while and he hasn't really adopted it. So maybe it's just not his thing. Uh, it could be just mechanically not his thing too. So, um, I don't want to forecast that in. I want to be like, Oh, he's a great candidate for sweeper. Let me just project him with a sweeper. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like, he hasn't done that. Why would he do that? Uh, so I'm not necessarily buying on him. Um, and then the other guys that I like, um, each has their own issues. Like Reese Olson has an elite slider, uh, but the, the fastball shapes aren't great. Um, and the command has been really coming uh, touch and go. Matt Manning, uh, seems to have like three pitches and command, but in terms of results, like, you know, have we seen, uh, enough to like, to, to believe him with that strikeout rate? I mean, I, I love stuff plus, but like, <laughs> am I going to like, oh yeah, 16% strikeout rate. This is going to work. Um, you know, and, um, you know, Sawyer Gibson long has like no pedigree at all. Um, nobody knows who he is and nobody, or at least not, he was never highly rated among prospects and I love his stuff. Plus, um, you know, numbers, he has, uh, you know, a really small sample, but elite, you know, fastball and changeup, uh, stats by stuff. Plus, I mean, he might be the one that I actually buy on. But it would have to be super cheap because I don't even know if he's in the rotation right now. Yeah. And, you know, there's plenty of people telling me, you know, like the Fangraph's uh, future value grade is 35, you know, that, you know, team rank 29th best prospect by Fangraph's on the Tigers, mm-hmm. not, not overall. Um, so there's plenty of people who think he won't succeed. 
I don't want to uh, take my stuff plus and bid $10 on Sawyer Gibson Long. <laughs> you know? I don't think you'll have to. I, I think he's the kind of guy that in, say, AL labor is three bucks in the, in the end game. Yeah, right? but, like, but in a 15-team league, I don't know if he's draftable, uh, considering that I think it goes Scooble, Flaherty, Olsen, Maeda, Manning, with Mize ahead of Gibson Long as the first guy in. Mm. I mean, who's out if Mize is healthy? Olsen? Probably has an option. Jeez. Are we at the point where Jack Flaherty to the bullpen's a possibility? Yes. They need bullpen help. And what do the Orioles do? Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, you could, could think of it that way. Um, yeah. So, anyway, uh, Gibson Long is more of a like a draft and hold like a you know uh if you have 15 starting pitchers on your roster then you can have Sawyer Gibson on your roster <laughs> yikes but it is a name to remember uh 15 is a little bit much because even in draft and holds what do you have you have like 13 14 in draft and holds yeah i think you're rostering closer to like 22 23 pitchers or starting pitchers? Oh, I mean, just, just total pitchers. So it depends on how much you invest yeah, in closers. So starting pitchers is like 15. Yeah. Yeah. If you're going to roster 12 to 15 starting pitchers, then Gibson Long is someone you could throw on there. If you have to, if it's like a, you you can't make any pickups all year, then Gibson Long is. But otherwise, um, I think Matt Manning is worth uh, a look, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, the, the pairing of results and stuff is, is there. Um, but everybody else has uh, pretty big red flags and also some upside considering their park and the fact that, you know, most of them are going to get a good run. The question I would ask AJ Hinch or Scott Harris or anybody in the know with the Tigers is, are you going to run some tandems? Are you going to do things like we've seen the Giants do? Say if you do have seven healthy starters, you're going to pair a couple of these guys together. You're going to see three and four inning outings from guys that maybe haven't missed enough bats, but could be more effective going through the lineup one time or twice as opposed to trying to push them through a third time. Mize coming off of surgery. You don't know how many innings he has. You know, Flaherty. Flaherty's much better if his velo is over 94. So what if you tell Flaherty, we want three innings out of you, and Matt Manning's going to give us two or three, and, you know, because we don't know how many innings we have out of, I mean, out of Mize, sorry. We don't have any meetings that we have out of Mize anyway. So we're going to kind of pair you guys. Yeah, and that starts to break things down value-wise for us on the fantasy side. So it might be good for the Tigers, not necessarily as good for us trying to manage these Yeah, guys. I think it's Scooble and Maeda are the only two that I can be like totally 100% draftable in every league. Yeah, that's fair at this point. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's move on to a few other things that have happened recently. Staying in one place, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. re-signing with the Diamondbacks. Not a player that I'm normally excited about, but it's three years, $42 million, opt-out after year two, club option for 2027. Steamer only has uh, 17 homers projected. I think there's a little too much of, of 2022 baked into that where we know he had an injury. It was a wrist injury for Gurriel. It sapped a ton of his power. I think if you look at the mm. the overall production, the barrel rates support more of a 20-plus home run guy. I think what we saw last season is actually repeatable. And just by dollar values, according to the Fangraphs auction calculator, 12-team league, Gurriel was the 90th ranked hitter by dollar values ADP right now at 234 of course he's going later than that this is a volume game sometimes you just got to find guys that play a lot and the way that roster is constructed I don't have any reason to believe that Guriel is going to play less especially coming into year one of a multi-year deal so he's a little bit oatmeal-y but I think this actually is pretty good oatmeal because the batting average floor looks pretty solid too yeah, you know, there's also this like idea of uh, you know don't sign anybody, uh, don't use anybody that's that's uh, signed a big deal recently, and I think that often uh, is a great idea because you're talking about big deals being thrown out to um, you know 28, 29 year olds coming off of career seasons. Um, I don't know if three and forty two counts as a big deal uh, in those, uh, in those systems. Um, and I don't know that necessarily last year was his peak season. I mean, by WRC plus 106, uh, his peak season was 2020 or even 2022 with the, the weird approach, um, you know, had a better numbers. I mean, it was his like second worst season actually. <laughs> um, and so if you look at last year and you say, you know, that's not necessarily an outlier for his career in any way. Um, then I think, uh, you can, you can buy in and, and there's just no excitement about him because he doesn't help you in any one stat in, in an obvious way. He's like one of those guys that hits average in every category. And so you think, oh, you know, oh, I need power. Well, Lord is not going to help me there. Oh, I need speed. Well, Lord is not going to help me there. Oh, and this is exactly the definition of, of, of oatmeal, right? Like if you look up the average 12 team, um, player in terms of offensive numbers, they're probably going to hit 270 with 18 homers and seven steals. And that's kind of what he's projected for. (laughs) So it's like, you know, why not just tread water? Like, let's say you need power. Why not just tread water and not lose on power? And not losing anything else and get go to the next pick and get somebody with power only on the next pick. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's a really nice profile. It reminds me of things that Ariel Cohen said a couple of years ago about uh, Alex Verdugo helps you in just like every category. Eddie Rosario is a, is a is a favorite of his, too. Yeah, I mean, not the current version, but like, right. Year three of this deal might be a problem. I don't care. We're playing for 2024. We're talking about redraft leagues predominantly. I, I think it's going to work just fine for Guriel. Even year three. I mean, you're talking about he'll be 33. He won't be like 38. And you're talking about a guy who makes contact and, you know, hits the ball reasonably hard and has like a 10% barrel rate, like 8 to 10% barrel rate. Like, what's the worst that he could look in year three? It'll probably be like 
250 with you know 15 homers like it still would be probably playable in a lot of leagues maybe not by then 12 team leagues yeah i think the category where he actually lags a little bit is run scored relative to his playing time because of the obp and the the walk rate obp being down a little bit and it even the the diamondbacks had a negative run differential last year (laughs) shh I'm just here to tell you what I see, things that happen. I'm just observing things. Huh, that's a little surprising, but that helps drag it down a little bit. I'm curious to see what else they do with this lineup, if they're able to add a little bit more. They are talking about adding a, a DH, mm. which could cut into some of Lourdes's playing time, I guess. If they do so without turfing Jake McCarthy, yes, you could have uh, an Alec Thomas Lourdes Gurriel, Corbin Carroll outfield um, with this new uh, DH uh, and Jake McCarthy's more of a fourth outfielder. That's totally fine. Um, but Lourdes' defense is not amazing. So there, you could, if you're on the fence with Lourdes, you could sort of wait and see what the DH will be. If it's a great DH, if they, if they actually, if they get JD Martinez, you know, as one of the rumors is, then that I could see that cutting into Lourdes' playing time, not in terms of necessary starts, but maybe the last plate appearance of a game. I do think the defense is good enough. I mean, outs above average had him at a plus two arm value on stat cast is solid 89th percentile. So like you're, he's had some bad defensive years by uh, on Fangrass. Yeah. He's had some fluctuations, but you've also got good options to play next to him in center, which takes some of the range pressure off of him a little bit too. So I, I think, I think he's pretty stable, and the multi-year deal especially makes me feel better about Guriel than I have probably at any point in the last three seasons. Let's get to Max Scherzer. He had back mm. surgery, and he's going to be out until at least June, possibly July. I think there's a fair question to be asked just about like what do we expect him to do when he comes back anyway, even if he were not coming off of surgery. 28% K rate last year is the lowest he's had since 2014. An 82.7% zone contact percentage was the highest since 2011. And he turns 40 in July. So we talked about this a little bit just in terms of uh, guys that have had multiple arm injuries, this being a little bit different, but age makes it harder to recover from something like this. And we both play in a lot of leagues where there are no IL spots. So in those situations, it's kind of a no-fly zone. It's just too long of an absence and too many questions. In leagues that have IL spots, which plenty of our listeners play in, yeah, you could probably justify it. Pitching's hard to find, and if you want to bet on you want to bet on a forty year old coming off back surgery to be good, well, Max Scherzer is a smarter bet than most forty year olds coming off of back surgery to to get all the way back. Right? He, he's he, he's going to push himself as hard as anyone does in in rehab. Like, there's no question. I also about just that. have some hope that, like, what from watching from the eye test, like the main thing that was the problem for him wasn't necessarily a shape of pitches or velo. I mean, his velo was down a little bit. The, the main problem for him was actually placing, like mm-hmm. command of the breaking balls. Like he couldn't get them in the zone. He couldn't get them where he wanted to. And that screams like hamstring or back to me. It Like command, when something's off like that, I think something that allows you to still throw the ball hard, but doesn't allow you to do everything you want to do normally in your mechanics, you know? Um, so back or, or, or soft tissue, something that's what I thought was going on with him or, or just like leftovers from his injuries last year. In any case, he could theoretically come back 
and do what he did last year, but with a smaller home run rate. I mean, the, the park isn't necessarily one that gives up a ton of homers. And if he comes back and is able to command his breaking balls better, then theoretically uh, he should be able to improve that home run rate. He's never really had a home run problem before. I mean, he in 2020 had a small one, but for his career, it's 1.04, you know, even in recent years, like in 2022, is 0.81 in that nice park. So, you know, I would say... Um, he could actually beat the projections. The projections have him giving up a homer and a half per nine. I'm saying take a, the under on the projected innings pitched, which is 94, um, because it's he's 40 and trying to come off a of back surgery, and take the under on the projected home runs per nine, because when he does come back, he should be able to command his breaking balls better. So I think he could, between that, give you 75 to 80 innings of a you know 3.6 to 3.7 ERA, uh, with 10 strikeouts per night. So absolutely someone that is stashable. I, I have a lot of leagues where I have a lot of IL stints. It's kind of some of them are like leftovers from COVID where we had like, we just kept adding IL stints, IL slots. And in those leagues, uh, I would absolutely want to have a stashable Scherzer. Yeah, so context matters in a big way as far as stashing Scherzer prices are going to fall quite a bit, of course, given the, the timetable. Yeah, an interesting uh, situation uh, if you are a Rangers fan uh, because uh, Jacob deGrom is due back in the second half next year, you know, um, and uh, and, and you've got uh, Scherzer due back in the second half next year, but you've got to somehow get to those guys. Right, yeah. So it's like, okay. And they just added Tyler Malley on a two-year, $22 oh, million deal. he's not due deal. back until the second half. Right, so DeGrom looking for August. Uh, Malley had his surgery in May of 2023, so the all-star break is probably the more realistic window for that. You, you could say a year, but it's usually a little longer, 13 to 14 You have all these starts extent. great. So like, you might have your ace for the first half. And then he sort of tag team, you know, high five, in comes Scherzer or DeGrom. Um, I mean, I think they'll be okay overall, but there's also the the function of narrative, right? Like, let's say they are like, well, we're going to have second half studs. Like, what if you, what if they just go out there and like, Owen White is our fifth starter. It's fine. We're going to skip him and we're going to make it and we're going to score a lot of runs and but what if they then fall behind and it's like, oh, like you guys went deep into October last year and you're all tired and you're all hurt and you're falling behind and the Astros are surging and the Mariners are surging. You know, does that narrative start to weigh or are they just like, nah, man, like we just need to tread water until our studs come back. So um, I don't know if there is a psychological component. There could be. Uh, there is an actual games win and loss component when. Uh, you don't actually have a fifth starter with major league, um, with with a with a major league resume right now. Price wise, here kind of doing the same thing we did with the Tigers. We'll do this one a little little quicker. Evaldi around pick two hundred. I think we talked about him in our last episode as part of a, a would you rather. Still in, you know, it's up and down, but I'm still in. Yeah, fair price. John Gray in the two sixty eight to three forty five range in December. That's pretty interesting to me. I'm in. Yeah, I can get fine. on board with that. Yeah. Dane Dunning. Dunning and, and Andrew Heaney basically have the same pick range. 320 to like 480 for Dunning. And they're like 
could not be more opposite pitchers. Yeah, it's really strange. <laughs> you really have to you have to really make like a, 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 a like a, a a decision about what you like about pitchers at that point. If you're picking between Dunning and Haney, you either like guys with big arsenals and command, or you like guys uh, who have like an elite pitch, you know. <laughs> and then otherwise, and that's Haney's fastball. Uh, his secondaries, he's never really figured them out, and that's why he has the home run rate he does. But um, there, there couldn't be more different. Is the the pattern in my brain just glitching? If I look at Dane Dunning and say, "No, I, I, I can't figure out how how exactly he could get those results again," barring changes, right? It was a sub twenty percent K rate. The walk rate's fine, but it's not elite, and. I don't know, like projections point to him being the same guy he was in 21 and 22. That makes sense to me. Is there something else beyond what I see watching him and seeing the numbers on fan graphs that I I should take into account? It, it kind of reminds me of when, uh, I don't know, again, making it a Brewer thing, like Adrian Hauser. It's like an Adrian Hauser sort of skill set where for a little while it can work and then it usually goes back to not working particularly well. In Hauser's case, that was 2021. 322 ERA, 128 whip. That's as good as it gets. He's run ERAs over four in the two years since then. He's had a bad whip in the two years since then. That's kind of what I see when I look at Dane Dunning as another Adrian Hauser type and with less velo. Yeah, I mean, he had a great success early in the season featuring uh, the cutter harder than he'd ever had. And uh, that's when he had the low strikeout rates and in April and May, an ERA of 177, 222, even in June, a 362 ERA. Um, and that was on the back of uh, some pretty insanely low strikeout rates. Uh, his his K-9 started with five uh, from May through June. Um, that's not usually something that will go long term. And so uh, in July, it all started to fall apart for Dane Dunning. Uh, and he had a five ERA. So then uh, he went back to the slider. And in the second half, he featured his slider harder than he ever had before, despite being still a four-pitch guy or, you know, sometimes even throwing the curveball and being a five-pitch guy. Um, he, he, was, he was throwing the slider 40% of the time uh, by the end of the season. And his strikeout rate went up. And then, you know, if you look at K-9, uh, you know, his K-9 in August was 11 and a half. In September, it was eight, you know, but the home run rate went up. Um, I guess he became more predictable as a pitcher. So if you wanted to be an optimist, you could see someone that settles in where he's figured out how to use the cutter and the slider, um, and he settles in at like a 20% K rate and one homer per nine and is a usable player. But I don't think that you can really look at this whole thing and say he's going to have a 3-3 ERA next year. I think you could bet against a 4-5 ERA and say he's going to be usable, but um, I think usable means more like a 4-4-3 to ERA. Yeah, that's more in the range of what I'd be comfortable buying into with Dunning, and I think most people see it that way, just based on how discounted he is relative to what he you did told last me to be year. Fast. Yeah, <laughs> it's fine. You kept it moving. I think Haney's just going to be who he is, and he's going to be—he's uh, going to have great starts, and he's going to have poor starts, and I, it's really hard to figure out. I mean, a guy who has one elite pitch is—you know—when the slider is feeling good, he's good. 
it's running out of adjustments to make. Like we've we've gone through this enough times. <laughs> I, mean, I love the dude, but I I don't think I'm buying. And so so weirdly, even though I kind of uh, the younger version of Haney, I would bet on more because I'd be like, oh, Bryce Miller, he'll figure out the secondaries, right? <laughs> you know, he's got a, Todd Bradley, he'll figure out the secondaries when they, uh, you know, when they become Ty Walker, <laughs> when they become Andrew Haney. And years later, there's fastball still their best pitch and they haven't really figured out a great secondary. I'm like, okay, um, I'm not going to dream on this anymore. I think for me, it's like you you look at the swing strike rate and the zone contact percentage, both going that wrong direction in a big way in 2023. That's where I'm like, okay, like what you see is what you get on Heaney. That extra gear probably isn't there. We can dream on a year ratios wise, like what he did to Dodgers in 2022, but I think you can get a quarter of the way there at best from where he was in 2023. Maybe a high three ZRA and a one high 120s whip is possible. At the price, I'm not out, but I'm not forcing it either. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Let's talk about the Mets and a third base situation that is rapidly changing. Ronnie Mauricio suffered a torn ACL at winter ball. He was among the candidates to play third base, can play other spots in the infield as well. But uh, timetable for him, at least at the time of, of putting this on the rundown, was not clear. I think once he has the surgery, most likely going to miss the year, most of the season or all of the season, very much the likely outcome here. It leaves behind Brett Beatty probably as the big side platoon third baseman. And I, I still believe in Beatty because he hits the ball hard. The problem is Brett Beatty has to hit the ball in the air more. That just, that's been the story when the power has lagged. That's been the reason why for him as he's made his move up toward the big leagues. And of course there were defensive problems at third base as well. So I think the, the, the question is, can the defense improve enough where they're comfortable playing him when the bat isn't working or can the bat improve enough where they just say, we don't care about the defense because you're, you're hitting at your full capacity. You've reached your 
your ceiling? Like, which of those things seems more likely to occur based on the information we have on Brett Beatty? I don't think we have enough information on Brett Beatty. So I'm going to go with the upside. 431 plate appearances. You can say what you want about the barrel rate. You know, the max EV is good. You know, the strikeout rate's not great. The ground ball rate is bad. It's still 431 plate appearances for a 24-year-old. I'm willing to give him, especially these Mets that like have re- recalculated their window. This seems like a perfect year to be like, let's give Beatty all year. I mean, why buy Matt Chapman and block him? You know, why not just give Brett Beatty all year? Worst case scenario, by projections, he's around a league average guy. He doesn't learn to lift the ball, but he hits the ball hard, you know, plays a decent defense, and, you know, he's not necessarily a liability, but he's not a strength. Best case scenario is he figures something out, you know? So I'm still going to bet on the upside for Beatty. Yeah, in the internal competition, I mean, you could say Mark Vientos. We've mentioned him before. I think there's no glove, bricks for hands. Right. So the same, like same defensive problems, probably worse defensive problems to start with. So that gives Beatty an edge against him. The fallback option, as it stands right now, is probably Joey Wendell. If Beatty doesn't hit and continues to struggle defensively, they're going to play Joey Wendell at third base, and that's not necessarily good as far as learning something that helps you in the future. Yeah, because Wendell is bought to replace. Luis Guillorme and is is supposed to be the backup around the infield. Yeah, you, you don't you don't want that outcome. You don't want 400 plate appearances of Joey Wendell. Like if that happens, multiple injuries need to be the reason as opposed to players underperforming. Like that's just I think you just give Beatty all year. You know, cuz you have Mauricio, you get Beatty all year and then, you know, Mauricio maybe he gets healthy late in the season and if Beatty's been bad for 4 months, then 5 months, then that gives you an opportunity to say, okay, reset time for Beatty, and we're going to pick, pick up Mauricio, and we're going to give him a full month in the major leagues at third base. You know what I mean? So I think it's time to do some auditioning there. Let's move over to another injury, this one in Pittsburgh. Andy Rodriguez is going to miss the 2024 season. He had surgery on his UCL and flexor tendon. This probably puts Henry Davis more firmly in the mix to catch Throughout the season, I know there were um, media sessions with some of the members of the Pittsburgh front office during the winter meetings. And at that time, Ben Charrington said that Henry Davis will go into spring training preparing to be a catcher, which I think that that comment preceded anyone knowing how bad Andy Rodriguez's injury was. But it made sense anyway, because there's still a long term future where Henry Davis is at least a semi regular catcher even if playing other positions is part of the equation for him. For Andy Rodriguez, this is a huge blow just because I I like the skills a lot. I thought this could be a big step forward for him in 2024. I thought he's going to be a, kind of a key part of this lineup. Keeper dynasty, sure, if you can stash him for the future, I, I'd love to see what happens in 2025 and beyond. But I'm curious if you're... If you're in on Henry Davis right now, he doesn't have catcher eligibility to begin the season. We've had a handful of players like this in recent years. You you look at the quality of the contact he was making, uh, had some power, handful of stolen bases. He was three for eight, though, as a base dealer at the big league level. So green lights could be a little harder to come by in in 2024 for him. But uh, are you buying Davis's bat 
outside of being a catcher or do you think he has to catch i think keith law wrote about this keith believes that to be a regular henry davis has to catch i'm a little more optimistic about davis's bat than keith appears to be yeah it's um it's a it's a it's a little bit of a weird bat path for me um it, it kind of i know that he hasn't he doesn't have like huge ground ball rates on his resume but it's kind of a flattish bat path for me um and so like you know a seven percent bail rate 110 max ev that like it's possible to me those are his true talent numbers like i i know i just said baby it's you know it's it's not I, i'm just saying it's possible i'm not saying that i believe those 100 percent. if those are the the truth then i don't know about the power and then you know the the contact wasn't necessarily supreme but in terms of deep leagues next year and uh, seeing if, uh, two catcher leagues and seeing if I could get something, maybe even a dynasty, if it's a two catcher dynasty, like, you know, and for the Pirates, I think if there's a golden or silver lining to the situation is, you know, we get a chance for a year to see if Henry Davis can be our catcher, you yeah. know, and then you know, then they could maybe have a trade situation where Henry Davis has proved himself as a catcher in the major leagues and Andy Rodriguez is coming back. Maybe you trade Henry Davis uh, for something somewhere else. Um, you know, I think that this can be a good thing for the Pirates. It can be a good thing for Henry Davis in terms of most fancy people or, um, you know, what I think of Henry Davis going forward. I think I lean a little bit more towards Keith's side of the picture. I think the harder part for me and, and why I'm a little little more willing to leave the door open is just that he had you know left wrist problems, like multiple absences coming through the minors. I think that's maybe just stunted the development a little bit at the plate. We've seen flashes of it along the way where he's looked like a dominant player. His actual on-field results in the minors were pretty stellar. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at his WRC pluses, there's there's a lot of 200s. And it's not a lot of sample, but it's, it is still like, well, when he was in, he trounced him. And even, you know, even as a, a rookie, I think the, the plate skills looked pretty solid, right? K rate wasn't through the roof, drew some walks. Didn't chase a ton. Yeah. There's, there's enough there to, to build off of like, after all the injuries and the missed time, if that's what the debut looked like, I want to see what year two or the first that's full season point, yeah. brings. Pick uh, right now is outside the top 300. Again, he's outfield eligible to start the year. So if you're going to use him as a second catcher, you got to wait probably a week or two to actually make that happen. But this actually looks to me like a pretty good playing time situation for Henry Davis as a result of the unfortunate Andy Rodriguez injury. You might be able to do play some. I mean, the thing that's dumb about, let's say, like um, an NFBC situation where you've got two catchers or you want to have two catchers, you want to have as much playing time as possible and you, and you want to sneak a Henry Davis in as your second catcher, then, then you have to kind of stream catchers for the first two weeks, you know, because you can't play Davis there or you have to pick three catchers and nobody wants to pick three catchers. I think I'm okay with it. Like, I, I think the reason I'd be okay with it as a third catcher, especially is because it's a multi-eligible catcher. You know, having a catcher outfielder is pretty helpful. If you think he's going to hit enough to be... I don't think it's that helpful. I just think mostly I just want to have just two catchers and I just put them in and I leave them alone. I don't want to stream catchers. I don't want to think about catchers all year. I don't necessarily want to pay the premium and buy the most expensive catchers, you know, but I also don't want to be in the bottom 
bin for this. Fair enough. The pirates <laughs> have been busy in the last couple of weeks. Oh, I know. It's, I was gonna, I was gonna give them some love. It's a, it's a, it's an interesting depth chart to me. It's sort of, um, it, 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 it screams of like, w- like the bottom of our roster was pretty bad last year. So we're gonna spend a little bit of money to make sure that we don't put below replacement players out there on the field anymore. I think that's a good way to describe it. I, I think there's, <laughs> it's rude, but like. That's what Marco Gonzalez and Martin Perez, you know, and Edward Olivares are for me is like, these guys are not below replacement. Yeah. Do you think, I mean, the other other part of Andy not being able to play this year is those playing time, the the large share of playing time that would have presumably gone to Davis in the outfield could be, is open, could be there for Edward Olivares or someone else. He's a terrible defender, and you know, I, I stole extolled his virtues, Edward Olivares, on Twitter. And uh, yeah, I, I did point out that the defense was bad, and people were like, it is atrocious. Like, some were saying, Rolls fans were saying it's the worst outfielder I've seen. Um, and and some of the numbers actually line up with that. It's weird though, because he's fast, you know, so it's it's it, you know, maybe the pirates think there's something coachable there. Uh, there's also right field in Pittsburgh is fairly small, I guess. Yep. Um, so maybe they're like, hey, we're giving you a smaller patch of grass. Maybe, I wonder if they knew about the Endy stuff when they got all of ours? Maybe. I mean, it could just be a depth grab. I mean, what happened with the Royals' flurry of activity, adding a bunch of guys to the 40-man caused them to move a bunch of players in these smaller trades and, and mm. like that That may have just been, hey, we can get a little bit better on the margins. That's and- the downside of the Royals' like buying, <laughs> I guess. It's- they had to lose some players too. Is it? They obviously didn't value Oliveris. <laughs> they could barely keep him up in Kansas City. Yeah, I, I kind of. So this is this is an odd take. I kind of like Jonathan Heasley. I think the Orioles oh, could. That's another guy they lost. Yeah. I think the Orioles could turn him into something. You know, he has he has three average pitches by Stuff Plus. Yeah, because I, mean, I talked about him exciting. on the radio in the the yeah. year he got called up. I saw what he was doing in the model. I saw some of the results in the minors and. I know he was never a prospect. Jonathan Heasley is the very definition of, of a Lodum player. Like, I'm going to more clearly define that in 2024. It's on my list of resolutions, <laughs> but basically, never a highly regarded prospect. No real model that, like, loves him to death. I mean, I can't say that Stuff Plus loves him. No, but also, Stuff Plus would lead you to believe that ERAs north of five probably aren't his true talent level either. And right. then there's also the growing trust in the Orioles being able to make some tweaks with pitchers. And then there's also on top of that, Chris, Chris Holt, shout out like Chris Holt's going to be, uh, get his hands in Heasley. Yeah. I just, I, there's probably a little more here than meets the eye. It doesn't mean he's a starter. It doesn't mean he's going to be fantasy relevant anytime soon. I'm curious to see how they use him. Maybe they'll use him in a, a Tyler Wells of two years ago, sort of role where it's a couple innings at a time and he's just support behind the rotation. But I, I thought that was a kind of a sneaky pickup that the Orioles made as a result of the the Royals' recent roster purge. Uh, Pirates also brought back Andrew McCutcheon, which just feels right. Uh, Martin Perez is now there in the rotation to help chew up some innings. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. They really needed some Haven't volume. When McCutcheon can come back, I don't see a timetable. He's sitting on 299 yeah. career homers, though. So uh, I think getting number 300 in front of the the home fans at PNC Park is probably on the on the to-do list for some point in 2024. But that that also crowds up the playing time situation for some of the depth outfielders because you presume that 
that Kutch is going to be mostly a DH option for them. We're going to spring training with an open mind. They're even talking about him playing the outfield, so it looks like he'll be ready for spring training. Um, yeah, uh, you know, and some of the guys they've found over the few past few years will slide into death roll, de- de- death rolls, uh, depth rolls. Uh, Josh Palacios um, was not amazing last year, but was replacement level ish, um, and he benefited uh, from some like uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates uh, updated their training methods at AAA to mimic what they do at the major leagues. Uh, to you know something we've talked about with like the Giants doing something similar um, so that players are just used to big league preparation and uh, the flow of the daily work uh, and the types of training that they're doing by the time they get to the big leagues um, so Palacios um, you know benefited from that at 28 I don't know that he has a lot more upside uh, but as a lefty batting uh, backup to Olivares, Sawinski, and Reynolds. Um, I do think he can be a a decent fourth outfielder. Uh, Jiwon Bay, um, you know, was forced to start at times for them last year, and at 24 he may have some upside, but he hits the ball uh, fairly softly and doesn't uh, make up for that with a ton of contact. Um, I think he's better cast as a backup himself. Um, and now you've got. Bay as the backup at uh, two or three positions, I think. Um, and so, you know, by signing guys like Martin Perez and Marco Gonzalez, uh, trading for Ed- Edward Olivares, and then also combining that with some of the guys that got the benefit of playing time last year when they were bad um, in more depth roles. I mean, I think this looks like a, a decent team. There's a, a certain amount that depends on Rowdy Telez being uh, healthy again. They signed him to play first base, and Telez said he was playing through injury a lot last year. You, we've seen him be uh, as good as uh, 10% Ben League average with 35 homers in 2022. If he can get anything back to that, then you've got what? What have you got as your as your middle of your lineup? O'Neill Cruz. Brian Reynolds, Jack Sawinski, Rowdy Telez, and uh, and Cabrian Hayes. That's pretty good. You've brought up the bottom of your lineup with Olivares, Henry Davis, the the playing time and the production and the, and the um, improvement you've gotten from Bay and and Palacios. Like, does this start to look like a team that maybe by, by true talent is closer to five hundred and could get lucky and stay in the wild card race? I mean, there's also a rumor that they're going after Dylan Cease. If you put Dylan Cease on top of that rotation with Mitch Keller, I think this is absolutely a team that will play meaningful baseball into September. Am I wrong? I think you would jump up to the top of the current tier if you add Dylan Cease. Like Right now, they're in the tier of teams that are not the A's, Nats, and Rockies. By war, right? Like they're they're not they're out of the basement. <laughs> they're not the bottom. They're not the very bottom. They're not in the hope like the the twenty twenty four hopeless tier. They're not in that. That's good. That's a good place to start. Adding Dylan C's kind of brings you to the top of that tier. Kind of puts you more like in the Marlins Tigers range war wise. And then I think part of what makes a team like the Pirates more interesting is that you can look at someone like Davis or even. Obviously, Cruz fits into this too, or even Leover Piguero, and the young talent can come through. You can have a couple of guys break through, and instead of being you know, two win players, two point eight win players like Cruz, 
they're three or four or five win players. That's in the range of outcomes, I think, especially for Cruz and Davis. Maybe for Piguero, it's more like getting two wins out of him. That ends up being a, a victory. That that would be good. But, be nice. but you also, I love Jared Jones. We've talked about how much we love Jared Jones. Paul Skeens is coming. You know, for all the weakness at the back end of that rotation, they have guys coming. Um, and they could accelerate those timetables if, you know, Swinski could have another step in him, I think. You you saw some really white-hot moments from him. If he could just become a little bit more consistent, um, you could see a real step forward from this whole offense. Um, and then we haven't really even seen a full year of Cruz, you know, at his best. So, you know, there, yeah, I think there's definitely some young players that could take a step forward and uh, some interesting roster construction things going on there. So we got to talk about Ellie on the last episode and the range for O'Neill Cruz, who I feel like in some ways was like the original Ellie in terms of just being this ridiculously tooled out unique player that we, we were all like, hey, what what's going to happen when this guy's in the big leagues? O'Neill Cruz is still going at pick 80 in December NFBC drafts. Range is pick 56 to pick 106. So pick 80, kind of early part of, of round six if we're talking about a 15-team draft. Uh, do, you st- do you have the same feelings of this is a lot of talent and I don't want to miss out and I'm okay taking on the risk relative to cost because the payoff could actually be there? Do you feel that kind of way about O'Neill Cruz? Yeah, and in fact, after our discussion, I was looking at the fact I'm starting my rankings now and I'm struggling to put together a, a, a list of aces that's longer than six or seven long. And so I, I may not, I may have to be out on Ellie because of just the, the, the same pitch, the pitcher conundrum we were talking about. Like if I want one of those top seven pitchers, then I can't have Ellie too. Um, my consolation prize could be O'Neill. The, there's a, uh, just as much sort of athleticism as there is with Ellie, the, there's a couple asterisks for O'Neill, which is he's a lefty and not a switch hitter. And we've seen some really, really poor work against lefties. Um, so I don't know if that's going to continue or, um, you know, what what's going to happen there. The other thing is Ellie's younger. O'Neill is 25. Uh, but that's still young enough that there could be improvement um, the third thing is a positive for O'Neill is he hasn't hit the ball on the ground as much, um, as Ellie, uh, at the major league level. Um, and he's already shown more patience and shown a really big adjustment in terms of swing decisions. When you track the end of 2022 into 2023, it looks, when you look at 2022 and 2023, it looks like, oh, that's just a small sample thing. 2023 before he got hurt. You know, but if you actually track his swing decisions over time, you see that O'Neill Cruz made big adjustments late 2022 and took those, ported those over into 2023. So um, I, I think that he's a little bit more polished than Ellie with less upside and um, more established flaws. Uh, it's an interesting package to take in round six. But at the projections, 250, 2020, that's a, that's a, that's a fine value. Um, and I think that there's also the chance that some of those, um, those adjustments he made uh, poured over and he's better than that. You know, it got me thinking about Ellie being a switch hitter and uh, O'Neill Cruz's struggles against lefties are, are well documented. Ellie, even as a switch hitter against lefties, struck out 40% of the time that he faced them last season. Well, O'Neill can 
Oh, they're going to be. It's going to be like right in the same neighborhood. (laughs) It's almost ten times that K rate. Forty point two percent is almost ten times his walk rate against left-handed pitching. So it's four and forty almost. Yeah, it's four point one percent. O'Neill's got to beat against lefties for his career. Eight percent walk rate, not bad. Fifty-one point six strikeout rate. (laughs) I think we need to control our FOMO. I I think we, we really do. Like this. Is that just good enough for you to be totally out? No, because my I don't want to live my life that way. I don't want to take the worst thing about a player and be like, no, never, never. It is only 122 plate appearance lifetime against lefties. I don't care that lefties turn these guys into Jorge Alfaro at the plate. It doesn't matter because <laughs> there's other things they do. Like you, you can't you can't completely throw it out. But sometimes the more you that's, peel back the onion, that's an the more you cry. Fifty-one percent. It's not great. Oh my god! It's not great. I, I think the part of of Ellie's profile that drives the price as high as it does, like the bags were just ridiculous. Like yes, O'Neill Cruz can also run, but Ellie's stolen base rates were off the charts. Granted, different rules. Will O'Neill steal twenty on the ankle? Yeah, also a fair question. Will they take that risk? I think. Do you use spring training in this instance? Like Jason Collette had that great presentation at first pitch about looking at the run rates in spring training and kind of they projecting over on really that. Well. Like especially for a guy that's coming off an injury like O'Neill Cruz, if you see him attempt four or five steals in Grapefruit League play, that, that would be meaningful to me. That would matter, right? So maybe you kind of need to see it before you can trust it. I, I also worry that if O'Neill Cruz tears the cover off the ball for a few weeks in Florida, we're talking about a more expensive player in March. Because that's just how it works. That's true. Uh, here's one. Here, here's a, a possible resolution opportunity for me. Should I finally give up on Nick Senzel? He has a fresh start with the Nationals. Gets to play a natural position. Going to be their everyday third baseman, it sounds like. The problem is... Every day? Every, every, <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> rude. That was rude. <laughs> the man wants to play every day. That's right. I'm. I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> just. I couldn't resist. <laughs> so even if you want to be an optimist about someone who's had some pretty bad luck health wise, he's got a career 4.8 percent barrel rate. He has zero partial seasons where he's been league average against same-handed pitching. So righty on righty for his career, Nick Senzel, 219, 288, 330. That's playing half his games at Great American mm. Ballpark. So you've got some. Questionable power skills with a sub 5% barrel rate, a ghastly injury history, but a wide open runway for playing time. So in deep leagues, this is a deep league question. You're not doing this in a 12-team league. This is a guy that's more of a wait and see for any sort of shallow format. Are you intrigued enough by the possibility of 500 plate appearances? And I feel like that's a big number already. But it's at least possible for him with the Nats and going back to a natural position. Like Nick Senzel had to move to the outfield, and that can wreak some havoc on on a player, especially playing center field. I would, in an NL-only situation, I might go to like five bucks or something. Uh, And the reason is he's got dual eligibility, outfield, uh, third base. So uh, that's CI, 3B, out. And in some some leagues, I mean, he played six games at second, so some leagues may add uh, a bunch more. Um, that it can be a player that is overlooked in NL onlys for sure, because it again it's not exciting in any case, and it's not going to be great for your batting average. And 
you're probably thinking it, you know, 28 is like, is there really much there? And, and I don't think anybody's going to buy him thinking, you know, oh, he's going to finally crank out that 2020 season we've been all waiting for. Um, but you can get a lot of value out of somebody that can be your backup third baseman or be at CI or be your fifth outfielder, you know, to, to carry a backup CI in your outfield, um, who has the chance at every day at bats is useful that there's some, that might be worth a dollar. I don't know what that's worth. It's worth something more than whatever your projection says. If your projection says he's worth $3, go to four because you will have a, in an NL only situation, a backup on your roster. And hey, for what it's worth, he's top 400 played appearances in the big leagues twice. So 500 is not that outlandish when you put him on a less crowded depth chart. So I think for and deeper and, leagues, and only 400 there you play you, your, your fifth outfielder is going to get 400 played appearances If you're lucky. Yeah, right. It could be like worse. You did, yeah. you did well if you got that much from the fifth yeah, outfield exactly. slot in a, in a mono league. So yeah, I'm, I'm in for the deeper formats. I guess that would include draft and holds as well. Um, I actually think the the categorical contribution that might tick up a little bit, I think the average could be a little better than what we've seen in recent years. I think he could be more of a 250 guy, maybe splitting hairs. He hairs. hasn't had a 300 Babbitt since his rookie year. But he runs well. I guess he, he does pull the ball a lot. I, I wonder if, if getting out of Cincinnati, he'll try to pull the ball a little less, try to spray it more because he's not going to hit as many home runs there. I don't know. Could serve him depending on how good that approach ends up being. That's like the low K rate too is something that is a nice core skill for Nick Senzel to fall back on. I hope it works out for him because I have tried many, many times to make this work on my rosters. I apologize for the quip. Yeah. We did have a question uh, via email about Roki Sasaki and the deadline for him to have been posted past, so it didn't happen. So thanks to Andrew for sending that question. It didn't seem like it was going to happen. There was a brief moment where there was a report coming out of Japan that he wanted to be posted, but team did not oblige in that I instance. do think it makes it more likely he gets posted next season. So that's interesting for Dynasty Keeper Leagues. You know, Could be somebody you pick in a first-year draft if he's available to you. You know, it could be someone you uh, you trade for this year with their owner being depressed that he didn't get posted or whatever. Um, I think it does make it more likely he gets traded. He gets posted next year. Yeah, that timetable could be moved up quite a bit compared to where it was back when Sasaki entered those keeper and dynasty leagues a few years ago. Uh, we've got uh, a lot uh, coming up here in 2024 before we go. It's uh, we, we've always had big ambitions, and uh, we've got some things in the works. We can't talk about them yet because they're. They're not signed, sealed, and delivered, but we're hoping to continue growing this show. We appreciate everybody who's listened throughout the season, shared the show, rated it, reviewed it, watched us on YouTube, listened to us, told their friends. Uh, always feel free to send us questions, ratesandbarrels at gmail.com. We're still on dr- the dregs of, of Twitter, uh, at Derek Van Riper, at Eno Saris. You can always drop us a, a note there. At ratesandbarrels is the way to find the show. But we hope everybody has a very safe and happy holiday season. We're going to take a little bit of time off. Uh, Eno gets a little vacation to start the new year, but I got a couple of special guests Going lined to the big up. Big Island. You have You're to. on the Big Island in early January. Give me a holler. You've got family there. I mean, like, that's the best. You don't need yes. an excuse and to go. Do but give you me it. a holler because then that gives me an excuse to leave. He <laughs> needs a couple of temporary escapes. Uh, I need to go to Ola Brewing. <laughs> but yeah it's been another great year on the show it's been great working with you again this year you know looking forward to what we can do in 2024 yeah i'm really excited it's gonna be fun and uh thanks for 
for everything, man. It's been it's been a really great year. This year has been bonkers. Another cross country move became a dad. Uh, I think 2024 will be um, a little more like settled for me from a personal perspective. That is that is my hope. That is like the one thing that I am hoping for in the upcoming year. But again, have a great and happy holiday season. We appreciate all of you. And we are back with you in two weeks. Thanks for listening. <laughs>